Welcome to the Crossroad International Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. I'm excited today to have um, probably one of my best friends, uh, been a mentor. We met in 1990, been working together since 1990. We were at a missions conference in Auburn, Indiana, and uh, I had a booth set up with, we were doing theological education by extension, and I was looking for curriculum, and Dr. Stan had a booth next next to us with Vision International University and he had curriculum and was looking for somebody in Africa and so didn't take very long for us to go uh, hey let's work together <laughs> so we've been working together now since 1990 and um, he's the president of Vision International University and uh, I've got this big title I'm the vice president of international operations and they pay me a seven-figure salary. <laughs> All zeros. <laughs> so Dr. Stan's um, from Ramona, California, just outside of San Diego. If anybody's ever been to the San Diego Wild Game Park, you went through Ramona to get there. And uh, so he was here Sunday. We did the graduation for Vision International University. And so we asked him if he would share today. So, Dr. Stan, come. Thank you. Good morning. morning. How's everybody? Man, this is great. We're okay? You're you're really ready? Ready? I'm in trouble already, aren't I? Oh, I'm in trouble already. It's an honor to be here. uh, You know, Steve and Kath are a couple of my favorite people on the planet. And coming, this is forever to get here. And, and why anyone in their right mind <clears throat> would come here. I mean, it's, I mean, you must question that, of course, pretty much every day, I would assume. But I mean, it's just great. It's wonderful to be here, and it's just an honor to be in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Good. Hey, Dell, you happy? That's good. You're next to your beautiful bride. You said she was scary, and she's not. She's wonderful. I mean, I don't know why you said that about her. And she's very sweet and kind and generous. And, and, and you like sitting, of course, next to short people, which is good. What? You're the one that brought it up. I didn't. Huh? Anyway, so. Well, we're going to start on, uh, we call this uh, Jesus the Wonderful Counselor. And I think we have a, oh, yeah, we have a PowerPoint. So good luck trying to stick with me. Okay, because I change things and sometimes, you know, we never know. So you're okay? Good luck. God bless you. Well, let's start with the scripture in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, your smartphone, or whatever you bring, and uh, we want to just read this. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, even though on the board it's New American Standard. It gives you a little contrast there. But I want to start reading then with uh, verse 6. So... And it says, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, thanks for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for your word and I thank you, Lord, for every opportunity we have to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord over our lives. Lord, you are Lord over our lives. You're Lord over our families. You're Lord over our work. You're Lord in every way, shape, and form. And we thank you for your Lordship in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you came. Certainly you came as a, as a child. You were given as a son. We thank you for that. We remember that during this time of the year. But, Lord, we know that, uh, that the main reason you came was, well, really twofold Number one was to get to the cross so that you could die on that cross so that our sins could be forgiven, that we would be cleansed once and for all from sin past, present, and future. And we thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross. But we also, Lord, thank you that you modeled for us a process for taking the, the kingdom of God to every nation in the world through raising up disciples, men and women through local churches just like this one, who are, who are empowered by your spirit to transform their community, family by family, area by area, for the glory of God. And so we just thank you, Lord, that we're a part of the continuous expansion of the kingdom of God. We just pray that this time together and this word would be a blessing to your people in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. or whatever you said. Amen. Okay. Well, it is wonderful. I want to call this wonderful counsel. You know, when I first thought about this, you know, my, in my background, I'm, a, um, I'm not really a, an educator. I mean, I do educational stuff, but my main training is as a psychologist. And, and so I thought I'd just get a big picture of me and just set it up here and wonderful counselor. I mean, I was thinking of that. It just came to my mind. I mean, of course, I wouldn't do that because I would be sacrilegious, especially in church. You would never do that in church, would you? You might. But I would never do that. That would be wrong. So, but anyway, but the wonderful counselor we're talking about, of course, is, is Jesus. Now, I don't think the prophet Isaiah had any clue, really, about what he was prophesying in that day. He was just bringing the inspired words from the Holy Spirit and speaking it out. Eventually, a scribe wrote it down for him. And we have that prophetic word, of course, today in the book of Isaiah. In that day and time, Isaiah would have had little or no clue about really what he was saying. He just probably sensed that there would be someone similar to David, the great king, maybe someone like Solomon, who would eventually rise up and be able to reestablish Israel as the center of the universe, which is what every good Jew believed would happen. Well, of course, we know that when Jesus came, he, he didn't come in the same way that they thought that uh, a great conqueror would come. He came as a baby. He came in a manger and all of that stuff. He didn't come in the way that people expected, and yet he did come with every bit of authority to establish the kingdom of God in a way that, again, people didn't expect. You know, oftentimes, I think, as believers, we, we, we think that we're very clear in our own mind and our own thinking about the way things are supposed to be. And yet often we find out that, you know, time, we look back and we realize that things are a little different than the way we thought it was going to happen. That, but yet in the middle of it, somehow God had his way. 
God fulfilled his purpose. I mean, have you seen that in your own life that as, as you look back, you realize, man, God really has been orchestrating our steps, even though we thought we were stepping on it in the way to get there. And yet somehow by his grace, God got us to the place where we needed to be. I believe with all my heart, God, by the Holy Spirit, is constantly orchestrating our lives. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. That doesn't mean everything seems orderly. Doesn't mean everything is going to go smoothly. Amen? But we know that ultimately God is working out his purpose. So Isaiah spoke this word knowing that it was an important one because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And though he had no idea when it would come about, how it would come about, he knew beyond shadow of doubt that this word was going to come about. That sometime in the future, God would raise up somebody who would be known as not a wonderful, not a good guy, but the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. Well... I want to look at, uh, you know, a few things regarding this wonderful counsel, the concept of it, in what I call simply the search for wisdom. Now, I was uh, saved when I was 12 from a life of sin and degradation. Okay, I didn't know what sin was, really, and I couldn't spell degradation. But anyway, you know, I was 12, and, uh, you know, just prior to that, about a year and a half prior to that, my mom had gotten saved. Now, she got saved primarily Y'all with me here? I mean, I have time. We're okay? Okay. Anyway, she got saved because John Kennedy got assassinated. Now, I'm not grateful that John Kennedy was assassinated. That was a bad thing. But it turned out good for our family because for my mom, who believed that John Kennedy was the second coming of all things good, being a good Democrat, of course, she said, man, if they can take out Kennedy, I better do something with my life. And she decided I'm going to go to church. Thank God she did. Now, the church she went to, she had no idea one church from another. Ah, no clue. It could have been Seventh-day Adventist. She wouldn't have known the difference. Fortunately, it was a Bible-believing church, an evangelical Methodist church. And uh, I'm told, I mean, I don't know. I, my, my parents used to send my sister and my brother and I to Sunday school, you know, and we'd, we'd go and have cookies and milk. That was why you went to Sunday school. And, uh, you know, heard about Jesus, and that was good. And, you know, we didn't understand. It was Moses and the ark and, you know, all that stuff. So, uh, so you know, we'd come home from Sunday school, and my mom went on to church. And I was told that, that the pastor was up there preaching. Now, his name was Lee Speakman, and wonderful brother. He's more of an evangelist than a pastor. Pretty much every Sunday, he'd do an altar call to get people saved, you know, with just as I am, without one plea and all that. So anyway, so he's preaching away. And my mom, apparently, Irish, Irish temper, crazy lady. Anyway, she stood up, and uh, in the middle of the service said, excuse me. And he, he stopped and said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, are you done yet? He said, well, well no, ma'am, I'm not. I've still got quite a bit to go. She said, well, I didn't come here to listen to you. I came here to give my heart to Jesus. Are you done yet? <laughs> yes, ma'am, I am. Yeah. And, you know, they had the altar call right there. It was great. It was wonderful. You know, in that, in that day and time, if you had a real move of God, service started at 11, got out at 12. Real move of God, we went all the way to 1215. Anyway, I think it was one of those 1215 services uh, that day. Well, after that, you know, I mean, we continued to go to Sunday school and go to church. And I remember my pastor, I think he was preaching about, about smoking. That was one of his favorite messages. You know, if you smoke, you're going to hell. I mean, that's what, what they believed back then. And, and I mean, we know the truth. If you, if you smoke, you, you kind of smell like hell. Um, you'll, you'll go to heaven faster because you, you die young. But I mean, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a good thing. I'm not suggesting it. But anyway, so, so uh, but somehow the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and... 
you know, I came to the altar, and I remember kneeling down, the pastor asking me, you know, what are you here for? And being the family I came from and being a bit cheeky, my response was, well, you're the one that did the call. Don't you know what I'm here for? And anyways, but we finally got around to the sinner's prayer, which I don't know what that really means since only saints pray it. But anyway, I asked the Lord to come into my life and began my journey. Now, you know, my family was a very dysfunctional family. I'm going to get to my mom here in just a moment in discipline because my mom loved discipline. She believed in spare the rod, spoil the child. How many of you really believe that? Yeah. So that means I can beat my kids in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And so my mom was really gifted. I mean, she was very short and kind of small, but she, was, she, she made up for things, you know. And so when we, were, we did something that she thought was wrong, it may not have been wrong, but she thought it was wrong, she would discipline us, and she would often hit us with things, you know, fly swatters, coat hangers, you know, kind of whatever was close. She threw ashtrays at times, it, she was, and she was very good, right-handed, but, man, she had a curveball on that thing. Somehow she could figure out a way to get a hold of us and hit now, none of that's good, but so she loved discipline. Now, you know, as she began to go to church, she began to realize that some of that maybe wasn't the best. Okay? And so she thought, I want to do a discipline to my kids that's going to really impact them. And so she decided, here's how I can really discipline, especially Stan, that little rat bag. Every time I did something wrong, she said, uh, you've got to go read a chapter from the book of Proverbs. Now, I remember her saying that to me, and my response to her was, no, I'm not going to read one. I'm going to read two, just to spite you. And so I would you know, go and read two, and after a while, I'd read three and four, and after a while, it'd become a habit to keep reading. You ever understand why sometimes we grow spiritually? It's because we develop good habits. It's not really because necessarily we're so much more spiritual. We just learn to do some things over and over and over again, and eventually somehow God gets it into us. Well, I believe God wants us to walk in his wisdom. He wants us to be, uh, eventually, to experience all that it means to be wonderful counselor ourselves, to being able to take and be able to, to, to have the comfort of the word of God so that when we read it, it counsels us, it corrects us, it guides us, it moves us in the directions that he wants us to go. And that doesn't happen other than through just simple discipline of study and reading and praying the word over and over again. Now, you know, so my response was a bit cheeky, but I realized that's still what we desperately need today. People need to be people of the word. Isaiah spoke a word. It was a word in his time and in his season, but that word manifested. It produced something. It ultimately produced our Savior. In fact, in all facets of our lives, whether we're you know, involved in media or government, education, economy, entertainment, religion, family, whatever we're in, God intends for us to live a life of wisdom. So in this, what I started out to be a brief message, it may be longer, I'm not sure. You, you're okay with, you don't care? No, no kids? So you have a life. Praise God, that's good. Yeah, I want to look at four primary aspects then of wisdom that comes from our wonderful counselor. Again, the person of wisdom we'll talk about first. Principles of wisdom, the purpose of wisdom, and the product of wisdom. So if you're taking notes, you want to throw four Ps. Dell, okay. We're good with this. Style, okay. We all right? I mean, you know, you're going to correct me later, I know. 
you know, I mean, if I don't make Dell happy, I may not be invited back, you know. So it's very important that I make him happy. So, so let's first, the, the person of wisdom. Wonderful counselor. The word for wonderful is the word pala in the scripture, which means something uncommon or out of the ordinary. So Jesus is not common. Would you agree with that? I mean, Jesus was different. Especially in his day and time, he was radically different. His message was radically different. It went against both Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes. It, it went against the basic belief systems of the day. He didn't come, again, to get rid of the law, but to fulfill it. And he fulfilled it in himself, in his death, burial, and resurrection. He fulfilled it in everything that he taught. But he was different. He was strange. He was odd. He was different. I don't know why it is that in the life of the church, we tend to want to avoid being wonderful. I think we value humble so much that we think that sameness is what God wants in our lives. For us to look the same, sound the same, act the same, same, say the same, glory to God, hallelujah, bless Jesus' words. But I think God values different, unique, special, even short. Hallelujah. God values different. Jesus was wonderful in that he was uncommon. He was out of the ordinary. He was different. Now, I don't mean he was weird and odd in that sense, but he was different in who he was. He was genuine. What you see with Jesus is what you get. And that's really what it should be like for us as well. What people see is what they get. What people are looking for in our day and time is genuine believers. I mean, we don't have to wear Jesus on our sleeve. We don't have to walk around with some sort of a special Jesus hat. What people are looking for is people that really love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as themselves and they're willing to show it or demonstrate it in their day-to-day -day life. I like real people. And I believe Jesus likes real, different people. And for, from what I see here today, we got a pretty good group of that right here. Amen? Wonderful. Counselor, of course, means like kingly advice. So it's wise advice. It's the kind of advice that would come from a king, one who is mature, one who knows who they really are. They've really come to the awareness of who they really are in Christ, and they're able to speak from that place or that position. Uh, Jesus, of course, did that not just in word, but he did that in his actions. Very different. I mean, one of my favorite stories is Jesus with the woman at the well. I mean, first of all, you know, we know that Jesus was breaking tradition in that he spent time speaking to a woman. You know, the tradition of the day. But here he was in the afternoon where most of the women wouldn't come because it was not the time that women came out to the well. But here she was. And she strikes up a conversation with Jesus, which turns out to be a very deep theological conversation. And Jesus is so comfortable in that conversation that he reveals who he really is to her. Really, the first one that became aware that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, so dramatic was their encounter. Even though, I mean, you know, she was a lady that 
had a bad reputation. He didn't seem to care about that. What he cared about was her willingness to engage. What he cared about was her open heart. What he cared about was a woman that, that recognized that, that though she may have been rejected by society, she was accepted by God, and she had opportunity then to take the message that Jesus had and take it back to her community. And the entire community got saved, came to know Jesus. I mean, that's powerful. You know, I think of Peter and... You know, Peter's life, Peter's walk. Peter also was, you know, the first disciple that made the declaration, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then if you read in the book of Matthew, shortly thereafter, he tells Jesus, when Jesus tells him, I've got to go to the cross, he rebukes him. Jesus, you can't do that. Shame on you. You're going to mess up my plans. Interesting. Different kind of people, different kind of folks. How did Jesus minister to Peter? He rebuked him. But then shortly thereafter, he took him with him up on the Mount of Transfiguration and showed him who he really was. I mean, Jesus, when he ministers to each of us, he does it uniquely, specially, as any king would. He finds out what kingly qualities we have in us, and he calls it out of us in a way that's unique and special. He was led, of course, by word and spirit. He was accountable and humble in what he did. But we know that Jesus, as the person of wisdom, wants us to also be led by the word and by the spirit and to be accountable and to be humble, but at the same time to be uniquely who we are. Let me make this statement to you. I hope it doesn't offend you. I know most of us, when we pray, we say we want to be like Jesus. Well, like him in character, that's fine. But let me tell you, Jesus is more interested in you being you than you being him. Because there's already a him and he's already done his work. He went to the cross on our behalf. He's resurrected. He's sitting at the, at the right hand of the Father. He's reigning over the entire kingdom. He's doing his job. What he wants for us to do is our job. He wants us to recognize who we are, that we are transformed members of the kingdom of God because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Really, the best we can be is the best we are in him by his grace. Well, there's, then there's the person of wisdom, of course, is Christ. And I think those of us that are trying the best we can to study the word, to grow in the word, etc. But then there's, there's principles of wisdom. And there's just three things I want to look at, which is, you know, that leads to a life of wisdom is knowledge and understanding with application. Now, knowledge, we, we know what that is. I mean, I mean, it's amazing to me how many Christians are pretty much dumb as a rock. I mean, they're biblically illiterate. They know, you know, they've come to know Jesus. They've asked him in their lives. They kind of know their sins are forgiven, kind of. But they really don't know much about the Bible. They don't know about what God says. And, and they seem to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again and somehow expect that maybe if I do it again, it's going to work out this time. And we know that that's a, that's a definition of insanity. I'm not putting anyone down. If that fits you, of course, don't feel ashamed. Just do something about it. Get some knowledge. I mean, God's provided for us incredible opportunity to know who he is, what he wants, how to live life to the best of our ability by his grace. Now, again, that's not always easy. That's not always easy. But if we don't have the knowledge, we don't even have the beginning point to really grow in the wisdom of God. Now, again, there's others, folks. I mean, I was working with one gal. I mean, she really loved to pray. But she really loved the, um, uh, I don't know if any of you remember Larry Lee. He did a, a special prayer kind of thing. And, and um, so they would get up in the morning early and pray for one hour. 
and she would, you know, pray to the north and south and east and west, and she'd pray and yell and stuff, you know, about 5 o'clock every morning while the rest of her, her family was trying to sleep or trying to take care of things. And uh, so she would finish her prayer time, and then she'd come downstairs, and within at least, you know, 5 to 10 minutes, she'd yelled at her husband, she'd yelled at her kids. I mean, she never could apply all the things that she had learned. That's not living a life of wisdom. It's not enough just to know stuff. You've got to be able to really understand it and first be able to apply it to your own life. A person of wisdom, Jesus grew, the Bible says, in wisdom and knowledge and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge in favor with God and man, Luke 2.52. Now, if Jesus had to grow, how much more do we need to grow? Now, not only do we need to grow, but we have every means to grow. He's provided us his word, his spirit, leadership that can speak into our lives for his glory. Now, so knowledge is good. We need to get some knowledge. We need to understand what the word says, but we also need to bring it into our hearts to apply it to ourselves. But then there's uh, wisdom is how to take the word and apply it practically to your life. Live it out day by day. I mean, Jesus did say as... Pastor Steve brought up earlier that he is the light of the world. But he also said, we are the light of the world. That doesn't mean we're just a little light, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. No, wherever we are, we're to absolutely shine the goodness of God. We're to demonstrate his love. We don't have to do that with words. We do that with our action. God wants us to learn to do that in our family, to do it in our workplace, in every situation to really let our light shine. All of that together leads to wisdom. Wisdom is also, or the word understanding really is the word to discern, which is a word from the Greek means anakino, which means to distinguish or separate and to investigate between what is good and what is true. So often with believers, we get trapped in chasing what is good, what fits for us, what makes us feel better, what we like, what we're really comfortable with. Things are good. Sometimes, though good, is the opposite of truth. Jesus wants us to be people of truth. Now, let me give you an example of that. In other words, let's just say, I mean, we see this all over the world. Husbands and wives. You know, it says, by, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And most men hear that word and say, I want to. About 9 o'clock, you know, every night or at least twice a week, I want to love my wife. Sounds good to me. Hallelujah. But we don't really read it fully. I mean, what makes us comfortable is the patterns that we've kind of established between each other. And some of those things are good. But it, it really says be willing to sacrifice for your wife. Be willing to give up some of yourself for her and her benefit. I mean, get off the couch. But I'm tired. I've had such a long, so what? Get over yourself. Get up. You follow what I'm saying. I mean, sometimes the good, well, things are working. We seem to be okay, really don't line up with the truth. The truth is God empowers us to be able to truly love, to truly sacrifice, to truly give of ourselves for the benefit of others. So we need to be able to have understanding, the ability to distinguish between the good and the true. And then we have the, the purpose of wisdom. And I've got a few things there. Life is, a, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 
Now, those of us, of course, that know the Lord, we have life, right? We have life. We can pray and ask for more life, but it's not going to do any good because you already have all the life you'll ever need. You have eternal life now. Eternal life is not what we get when we die. It's what we got when we received Christ in his death for us. We have eternal life. That's a wonderful thing. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Our life is in him. Now, as such, he wants us to live our life to the fullest. Now, how do we do that, especially within the context that we find ourselves? Especially when you have to work 12, 14 hours a day. It's tough sometimes to get a life, to be able to enjoy what God has done. Well, somehow you have to fight that. you got to work that out somehow. Because God wants you to enjoy the life he's given you. Life isn't all about work. It's not all about earning money. It's all about our fellowship. It's about enjoying everything that God has given to us. And he wants us to enjoy the life he's given. He wants us to live a life of health and prosperity. I like the way it says in 3 John 1, uh, would, you, would that you, uh, you know, prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. How many of you have heard that scripture? It's a great, great scripture. I would that you prosper. What does the word prosper mean? Again, we're not simply talking about money. That can be a part of it. But prosperity really means to have everything that you need for your journey in life. Everything you need for your journey in life. And I tell many people, if you're going nowhere, you don't need much. But if you're going somewhere, if God's called you to do something, he will empower you. He'll give you the grace. He'll give you the resources to be able to do everything he's called you to do. Now, it's very important that you hear from God, that you know what he wants you to do, and trust that he's going to prosper you in that. But somehow our prosperity is also related to our health. I would that you prosper and be in health even as your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions prosper. In other words, as you continue in your journey of growth in God, as you continue studying his word, times of prayer, your devotional life, your time of worship and fellowship together, as you continue in those areas, your soul will prosper. Every aspect of you will prosper as your mind prospers. In other words, we need to make sure that we're daily transformed by the renewing of our mind by his grace. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is what? He's a new creation. You've all heard that? What does that mean? Does that mean something's going to happen sometime down the road if you're good enough, if you try hard enough? Or does it mean that right here, right now, because I'm in him, I am a new creation? That's exactly what it means. You are a new creation. By his grace, you are saved. You're not going to lose that salvation as long as you continue to walk in his fellowship. I mean, God has called each and every one of us to have that assurance of his grace in our lives. We are a new creation, part of a life of wisdom, part of a life of, of understanding the wonderful counsel that God has given to us in Christ is knowing that we are secure in him, that we at this very moment, we're not just here, we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. We're far above principalities and powers and workers of darkness. So where is the devil? He's under our feet. And what does that mean? That means we have the thrill of victory and he has the agony of defeat. He's under our feet. He's beneath us. Most people didn't get that, but I don't care. I like to say it. It makes me feel better. Okay. We're a new creation in Christ. Old things are past. Old things are gone. Old things. 
What old things do we hold on to sometimes that keep us from walking in the, in the wisdom, the wonderful wisdom of God? Is it past sin, failures, past relationships that have been broken? Whatever it is, I mean, we don't have to walk in that. He's already taken it. And besides, we're not even really here. I mean, we're here. Thank God we're here. But we're also there. We're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Where is Christ? He's at the right hand of the Father. So where are we? At the right hand of the Father. So how difficult is it to get a hold of Papa about issues we have in our lives? <clears throat> you know right? You know? It's right there. Why don't we go to him more? Why don't we just go to him more? Why don't we just simply talk to him? Whisper into his ear. He'll whisper back. I don't believe God wants to shout at us his direction. He just wants to whisper in our ears. Most of the time what he says to us is, I'm proud of you. I love you. I'm honored to be your father. I'm so glad to be in relationship with you. Love to spend a little more time together. I mean, that's the father that we serve. Wonderful counselor. Speaks words of comfort and strength and guidance and wisdom into us. And he's always doing that all day long as we have ears to hear. He wants to transform us in that way. And so that's the product of wisdom. As I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. It's interesting, you know, the, the children of Israel, this is a little slight rabbit trail, but uh, I got a few. Um, you know, the children of Israel tried really hard. I mean, they really did. They tried hard. They just never seemed to be able to get it together. I don't know if you noticed that. You read the Bible. It's, they just never could get it together. They tried. But they were always kind of messing things up. And, you know, again, the same prophet Isaiah, after he, you know, is called up to be in the presence of God, which was very exciting. You know, you see that in Isaiah chapter 6. You know, he's, uh, he's called up before the Lord. He sees the glory of God. And uh, the Lord speaks to him, who shall go for me? And, and Isaiah jumps up and says, here am I, Lord, send me, which is kind of silly because, you know, Isaiah was the only one in the room. <clears throat> but anyway, so he, he makes this declaration, I'll go for you. And which, by the way, most of the time when he calls us to do anything, we're the only one in the room. He's not talking to other. He's talking to us. So you might as well just buy into that. But, you know, he, he gives him then his commission. I just love this commission. Jesus refers to this as well in his teachings in the New Testament. But in, in verse, uh, in verse nine, we'll start. It says, and he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of the people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now, that's pretty negative. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't think I would like that commission from the Lord to go someplace and preach where everybody's going to basically miss the message and want to kill the messenger. I, you know, I mean, you know, Steve, yeah, yeah. No, no. We like to have people that are kind of open and receptive to what we want to say. But Isaiah was going to preach to a people that were so stiff-necked, so stubborn, and had lived a life in such rebellion against the principles of God that they couldn't hear. Well, when Jesus came, things weren't a whole lot different. That's why he kept saying, you who have ears to hear, let him hear. He was referring back to this passage of Scripture and others like this. 
Let's look at the, the three points, though, here. It says, especially, lest you see with their eyes. In other words, the people in that day, no matter what was said, even when they saw signs and wonders and miracles transformed lives around them, they still couldn't see the goodness of God. They couldn't see it. And there are so many people that their eyes are blinded. I'm not saying unbelievers. I'm saying believers who just can't see that God is really up to something even here. God is up to something incredible. God is, is getting ready to do greater things than we ever imagined. But we need to have the eyes to see it. So often we go through our day as though we have blinders on. You walk by people all the time and we don't see them. We don't notice them. Of course, it is kind of a strange culture that way. I'm walking down the street here, smile at people, and they think I'm crazy. Okay, I am, but that's another story. I mean, they shouldn't assume that right up front. But they don't smile back. They don't want to make eye contact. I understand that, but we're different. Remember? We're wonderful. We're weird. We're wacky. We're wonderful. We're different people. We actually love people. We want to engage with them because we have something we want to give to them. We have a gift that's been given to us. It's called eternal life. And they're walking around in eternal death. We know that they can have something better because we've got it. And so often we don't even see the person that's hurting, that's wounded, that desperately simply needs a word of encouragement. We don't have eyes to see. Well, you don't have eyes to see, you never grow. They don't have ears to hear. They couldn't hear. They would hear the word over and over and over and over, but they don't hear it. Because to hear it is really to take it on board and understand. We need to be not just hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. Those that hear and do. Then it says, and, and they don't understand in their hearts. They don't take it into their heart. They're not willing to apply the word to their own lives because essentially when we see and hear and respond to the word, it will encourage us to do the one thing that most of us have a hard time with, and that's called repent. Now, repentance, of course, is not weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's called hell. Okay? It's simply changing your thinking. In other words, so many of us have stinking thinking about so many things. They can be racial. They can be you know, sexist in terms of how we see men, how we see women. We can see how we see children, how we see life in general. We just don't see things the way God sees things. I mean, and that was one of the wonderful things about Jesus is that what he saw, what he heard, what was in his heart always brought healing. I mean, just another little example. You remember the story of the leper? Mark chapter 1. It's a great story. Here, this man, we don't even know his name. He's just a leper. Chases after Jesus. I mean, we don't know exactly how he found out Jesus was coming his way. Maybe he heard about the great miracle that had happened just before that when, the, when Peter's mother-in-law was healed. And, and I assume he thought that if a mother-in-law could be healed, nothing's impossible with God. <laughs> anyway, so he, he took off running after Jesus. He jumps at him and, you know, Look, his disciples, when he came, they saw a leper. When the man looked at himself in a mirror, he saw a leper. The community of faith that he came from, this man is a leper. That was who he was. That was his identity. But the beauty of Jesus is he was blind when it came to things that were commonly seen by others. He never saw a leper. He saw a man created in the image of God. 
a member of the household of faith that simply needed a touch from God to be restored back to his rightful place. May God help us to have the wisdom of God to be the kind of wonderful counselor that sees people the way God sees them. Because if we do, we'll treat them the way God will treat them. We need to have open eyes, open ears, open hearts, which leads then to, to open hands. You know, open hands really speaks about generosity. I should take an offering now. I really feel like I could get some money out of them, Steve. What do you think? You think I could get some, uh, some serious money? I mean, what do you think? I mean, I, you know, KD's pretty good here. I mean, what, I, mean, I mean, it's up to you. It's your call, really. What do you think? I mean, go for it. Should I? I'm just kidding. Relax. Man, they, they were ready to run. Did you just say, it's amazing. Talk about, anyway, yeah, I'm not talking about money. I'm just saying an open hand means I'm willing to share whatever God's given me in order to see his purposes move forward. Okay? Whatever God's given me. Everything I have belongs to him. Not just the 10% that we tithe or the offerings that we give, but everything we have comes from him, belongs to him, doesn't it? We need to be willing to have those open hands. But that only happens when we have a truly open heart. When we've given it over, we sang, I surrender. Of course, there's an older song. It goes, I surrender all. And most of us, if we sang it properly, would sing it. I surrender some. And mainly the stuff I don't really like that much and don't really need anymore. I'm happy to surrender that, but not the real stuff, not the deep stuff, not the things I really like. See, Jesus is wonderful counselor. His time, his talent, his treasure, it was all yielded to the Father. And not only was Jesus that way, but you know, one of my favorite Bible characters, and I'll close with this, is, is Barnabas. I love Barnabas. Barnabas was, Barnabas was nobody. He was nobody. He was just, he wasn't a deacon, wasn't an elder. He wasn't a five-fold ministry gift. He wasn't an anointed apostle. He wasn't a bishop, archbishop, archapostle, or whatever any of those things are. He wasn't any of that stuff. He was just Barnabas. But Barnabas recognized that he had something that might be a blessing to the church. He had an extra piece of land. Now, nobody asked him to sell the land. Nobody asked him to donate the money. It didn't make any difference. He just, it was, he, if I got it and they need it, I can give it. And so he, he sold the land, brought the money, and gave it to the apostles. There was no promissory note, no strings, no I expect to be put into position of power. None of that. I give it because I can. And he walked away from it. Now, again, I think when it came time for Antioch, you know, a few years later when the Antioch church was exploding and they needed someone from Jerusalem to go check it out, who best but someone that we know we can trust because if we can trust somebody with their money, we can trust them with everything else. And so off to Antioch he went. And, of course, he had such grace on upon his life that when he saw what was happening in Antioch, he realized the last thing we want is to try and make them into good Jewish believers, you know, let the circumcisions begin. Instead, what we're going to do is just go with the grace of God. I'm not going back to Jerusalem until I have to. But again, he was just Barnabas. Just Barnabas. You know, God has called all of us to be just Barnabas. Just who we are. Whatever our gifts, whatever our calling. But as the wonderful counselor of which Jesus is, he wants us to emulate that in our daily life. 
to also be different folks with wisdom, kind of adult, kingly wisdom that we can speak into other people's lives, that we can have the open hearts and the open hands to be a blessing to people that we come encounter with, whether they're part of our church or not part of our church, in our community, even a part of our faith, it doesn't matter because they're part of God's house, part of God's family, and that they're created in his image. I just... I just want to encourage all of you today. You know, you're, you're here in a unique place at a unique time and for a real purpose. You may assume that your purpose was whatever you originally came here for, but God's got something always more, always unique. Just be you. Be different. Be who God has called you to be. Continue to be strong in your fellowship, strong in the word, strong in your worship. Trusting that God is going to help you in every way to keep growing in him to be more and more each day like the wonderful counselor who lives and abides in us. Amen? Blessings to you. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, thanks for each one here. I thank you for, for Dell. I thank you for Steve and their wonderful brides. And Lord, I just thank you for the, the work that's happening here. This is great. It's wonderful. It really is. Lord, your hand is upon this work, and we're just trusting it's going to continue to grow. We do pray, Lord, for, for the right facility at just the right time for them to be able to continue to grow into it. Thank you for those that are ministering to the kids, and Lord, we just are believing during this Advent season that we're going to not just remember that you came, but we're going to remember that we're here, that we came, that we're part of the wonderful counselor uh, in this day, in this time, because we are the body of Christ. We are your hands extended in this community. So we pray your blessing, your strength, and your wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen.